Hey guys, welcome to Home Church Scotland. I'm Pastor Dave and welcome to our weekly podcast. Guys, if you're encouraged by what you hear today, why not check out our social medias? Just search for Home Church Scotland. Or why not subscribe to our YouTube channel where all of our services are live and in full for you to enjoy at your listening pleasure. I'm going to just look at the Bible tonight uh, from Matthew. We'll be in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 27. Nah, 26. (laughs) This is the first uh, Good Friday service we've had since covid um, which is quite strange. So last year, we did have a meal last year. We were able to do that. And the year before, we had 50 people crammed in. Well, not crammed in, sorry, separated all over the place. <laughs> Everywhere. Some in the hall and that 50 folk we were allowed in. And Ella wasn't even here that day. I can't remember. We couldn't even get, couldn't even get one of the pastors in because it was so restricted. So it's really, really nice just to be here. And like I say, this is the greatest well, most important day in the history of the world because it's the day that brought us, bought us our salvation. So I didn't want to come into tonight, to be honest, like crazy, I don't know what the word would be, crazy slick or crazy like, I just want to leave room for God to kind of speak to us really. And, but I thought I would just read through a bit of Matthew's gospel and just see what God has to say and then, and then we'll have some communion together, if that's okay. I want to say hi to everyone online. Hello. There's a lot of people on holiday, so I'm hoping they're all for Turkey and Spain and all that watching. I'm going to find out later if you've watched people and you know who I'm talking about. So no, it's really good to, to be here. And if you're a guest with us tonight, it's really, really good to see you. I've got a few good pals in the room tonight. I've not seen in ages, so it's great. Um, so shortly before Jesus died, we find them in the Garden of Gethsemane, totally overcome with grief. We're told in scripture actually, so overcome with grief was he, that he was sweating drops of blood because he knew what was coming. So we find Jesus in Matthew 26, verse 36 in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is not long after they had the Last Supper when Jesus instituted communion. And it says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Even right there, I find that, I find this little bit of scripture totally astonishing. As we, as we read through the story of Jesus, and we're going to do that tonight, if you've never heard this part of the story before, you're going to find out that Jesus' friends totally let him down. The closest people to him let him badly down and abandoned him at the worst possible point in his life. And yet here he is asking Peter and the two sons of Zebedee to come with him and pray. He's involving them in his situation, knowing full well what's going to happen. It was, it was before this, actually, that um, G- Jesus told them, you're all going to fall away, for it's written, I'll strike this, the shepherd and the, 
the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And then Peter chimes in, they might all fall away because of you, Jesus, but I'm not going to do it. Everyone else might let you down, Jesus, but I'm not going to let you down. Um, and Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I've got to die with you, I won't deny you. That'll make some sense later on. And all the other disciples said the same thing. But Jesus knew what was coming. He says to Peter, you're going to abandon me. You're going to deny me three times. And yet here we see Jesus giving Peter a, a responsibility. And a, 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 he takes him aside to pray with him. I just take ridiculous hope from that. Because I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I just feel like I'm not very worthy. Sometimes I feel like I'm not really good enough. I certainly wonder a lot, what on earth am I doing, pastor in a church? What's all this about? And uh, why, like why me? God knows my feelings. God knows my insecurities. God knows all the stuff I've ever done wrong. But we see here, despite Jesus knowing our faults, despite Jesus knowing our feelings, despite Jesus knowing our past, and despite Jesus knowing every mistake we're going to make in our future, he still gives us a job to do in his kingdom. I think that's brilliant. Absolutely love that. So he asks him to pray with him. And then he prays to God. Um, he said to the boys first, My soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Can you imagine how you'd feel if one of your closest friends said that to you? My soul is sorrowful, even to the place of death. Could you, could you please pray with me? What would you all do? My goodness me, I hope you'd pray for them. <laughs> but can you imagine how you'd feel if one of your best friends said that to you? If a guy that you'd done three, the last three years with, day and night, every day, all over the place, said to him, my soul's sorrowful to the point of death. That's about as heavy a thing as you probably you could ever say to anybody. Go and pray with me. And then he went a little further and he prayed this, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is overcome at a point of death because he's under no illusions as to what's about to happen to him. What Jesus went through for me what Jesus went through for you wasn't a surprise. There wasn't a, there wasn't like he had this expectation, oops, it was like way worse than whatever he thought. Jesus knew everything that was coming. He said the sorrowful to the point of death, he's crying out to the Father, God, if there's any way, if there's any other way than me going to the cross, God, would you please just do that? If there's any other way to save people, if there's any other way for sins to be forgiven, if there's any other way to reconcile people into a relationship with you, God, could you please find it? Because what I'm facing is horrific. What I'm facing, I can't handle it. I'm overcome with sorrow at the point of death. Please, if there's any way this can be taken from me. But thankfully, he humbly says these words, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, God, if there is no other way, I'll do it. If there's no other way, I'll go to the cross for them. And then he came back, and it says he found them sleeping. 
He's closest guys, he said, I'm sorrowful at the point of death, going to pray for me. And he comes back and finds him sleeping. Can you imagine how he must have felt? Can you imagine the letdown? And actually, you know what? Sometimes, somebody ever think you let Jesus down? Sometimes you think you've let Jesus down. And we, go into, we get into these stupid mindsets of, God can't use me, I've let him down. I don't think anybody's let him down as bad as that. I hope I have, not <laughs> If anybody thinks I have, you can correct me later, but I don't think I have. I don't think anyone's let Jesus, and he still used these guys. We'll hear more about that on Sunday. Incredibly used these guys to change the world. What can God do with us? It's amazing to think about. Finds him sleeping, and he says to Peter, so, could you not watch with me for one hour? Then he says again, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed. He cries out to his father again, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He's full of anguish. He's full of I can't imagine the emotions he's going through, knowing what's coming. And again, he came back to his mates and he found them sleeping, totally let down because their eyes were heavy, it says. Leaving them again, he went to pray a third time. Let me tell you guys, I'm a dad. Um, and my word, I love my kids. If my kids came to me sorrowful like that and asked me to do something that was within my power to do, I'd women do it do you know what I mean Jesus comes to the father three times and says if there's any other way can we can you please do it but he submits to God that tells us there was no other way the cross was the only way these religions that tell you that there are other ways to eternal life are talking rubbish people that have tried to twist the words of Jesus people that have tried to uh, twist scripture into telling you there are a whole lot of ways to get eternal life there are a whole lot of ways to get to heaven are telling you lies there's one way only one way and it's the cross it's the death of Jesus because if there was any other way it would have happened if there was any other way God would have answered that prayer and said okay Jesus I've got plan B I'll do, so, I'll, 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 I'll do that other thing it didn't happen because from the beginning of time this was the plan there was one way to reconcile us to God and his name's Jesus. And anyone else ever tells you anything different, they're lying to you. I was going to say you can slap them in the face, but you can't do that. Don't, don't do that, but don't do that. They're lying to you. There's one way. So after the third time saying the same prayer, he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus is let down by those closest to him. He's found them sleeping. He's went through all this anguish. And here in the corner comes Judas with a crowd full of guys ready to betray Jesus. One of his closest guys is took a payoff to betray Jesus and get him arrested. And uh, I love this. These guys come up to Jesus, chief priests and elders, carrying spears and torches and all that horrific uh, thing to see um, and at this point in time Peter had a little bit of fight about him because Jesus was with him 
It's funny how actually when you see the disciples when Jesus was with them, they're quite strong. And when Jesus is no there, they're like little mice. We need to do life with Jesus, man. But Peter gets out his sword and he cuts off some guy's ear. And Jesus says to him, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He says, do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he'll at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then that the scriptures should be fulfilled, um, that it must be so? Jesus, just, just, just as a reminder, Jesus could have stopped this at any time. That's why that submission to God that we see, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, is so important. Because if Jesus hadn't said that, if Jesus hadn't submitted to the will of God, he could have stopped it at any time. But he didn't. He kept going. So he gets arrested. He gets carried away. And he gets taken before the council. And it says, verse 60, 65, the high priest tore his robes and said he's uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? This is in the back of Jesus saying, by the way, you've said it. They asked him if he was the son of God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So they accused him of blasphemy and said, to everyone, you've now heard this blasphemy, so what is the judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. And then it says, they spit on his face and they struck him and some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is it that struck you? Belittling Jesus, laughing at Jesus. And Jesus never said a word. He took all of it. Because it was the only way for us to be free. It was the only way for us to find forgiveness. These people who all he had ever done was serve. All he had ever done was help them. And they're laughing at him. They're spitting at him. They're striking him. They're slapping him. They're ridiculing him. And then things go from bad to worse. This, this closest mate of his, Peter, who said in verse 35, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Here we are in verse 69. It says, Peter sitting outside the courtyard and a servant girl came up and said, you are also with Jesus the Galilean. It's to put in a context, this isn't some powerful man of the temple. This isn't some army officer, some centurion coming up and accusing him. And it's a scary situation. Peter, who one minute is saying, I will die with you if I have to Jesus, is scared to a wee girl. We servant girl come up and say, no, you're, you're one of them guys that was with Jesus. And he, say, and he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystander, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know this man. After a little while, the bystanders come up and said to Peter, certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, just as Jesus said it would. Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out 
and wept bitterly. Then, we, then the next morning came and all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. I think this is an extreme act of spinelessness, by the way. The Jews wanted to kill Jesus, but their laws prohibit, prohibited them from killing people. So they took him to somebody else to have them do the dirty work for them. And it's funny how I still see sometimes as humans and sadly, unfortunately, sometimes as Christians, we, 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 we can find loopholes to, get the, to do what we want to do, can't we? We can find loopholes to kind of cover sin or to pretend it's okay or to, um, to justify ourselves. There's all sorts of crazy way of justifying our actions. If we want to justify stuff, we'll find a way of doing it, but we're not called to justify, we're called to repent and change. Jesus helps us to do that. So Jesus is before uh, Pilate again, oh, sorry, aye, Jesus is before Pilate, and all the crowd are trying to get Jesus killed. Um, Pilate, he's a little bit wise to this, says in verse 18, he knew it was out of envy that the guys delivered them up. So he could see, like, this guy Jesus has done nothing wrong. These religious leaders are just envious of the, the authority that the man carries, as we actually talked about just a week past on Sunday. And that's why they had him delivered up. But also whilst he was sitting in his judgment seat, his wife had sent word to him to say, don't have anything to do with killing this guy, because I had a dream. Um, and there's like, trouble coming I've suffered because of a dream she said don't don't have anything to do with it but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for the release of a guy called Barabbas see what happened was once a year Pilate would release a prisoner to people and Jesus obviously arrested at this time so Pilate asks the crowd do you want Jesus who we know had done nothing wrong or do you want Barabbas who was a convicted murderer but they wanted the freedom of Barabbas. They said Barabbas and Pilate said to them, so what do you want me to do with him who's called Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. So the chief priests and the elders who are meant to be spiritual, who are meant to be godly, who are meant to be leaders, they persuade the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. This is people who've seen Jesus heal people who've seen Jesus heal a paralytic, who've seen Jesus heal blind people, who've seen Jesus, Jesus raise people from the dead, who've seen Jesus um, do just serve and serve and serve and serve and serve. And here they are because of a little bit of peer pressure, asking for Jesus to be crucified. It's sickening, to be honest. Pilate asked, why, what evil has he done? It just says, but they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. They couldn't answer the question, but he just kept shouting. What's, what's he done wrong? Can't I give an answer, but we want him dead. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So it says, verse 24, uh, chapter 27, I'm in now. When Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but that rather a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And it says, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. 
I don't know if anyone's seen the passion of the Christ. I tried to watch it once and actually couldn't, I couldn't do it all. And this scene where Jesus is getting scourged is the bit I could, I just couldn't watch it. Um, I, I literally, I listened to it. That was harrowing. And actually, the film probably doesn't come close to reality. If a scourging wasn't a weapon, a scourging wasn't a caning, although to be quite frank with you, I don't know that I can think of a much worse thing happening to me than being whipped. I don't know that I could think of something really a whole lot more painful than that. But Jesus was scourged. To be scourged, it's like, like five leather straps, if you like, five leather whips. And in amongst the whips is like bits of bone and bits of stone and stuff. So that every time they crack that whip off your back, it's literally tearing the flesh away. It's tearing the skin away. In fact, a number of people uh, would die with a scourging before they even went any further. That, that could kill a man. So totally destroyed Jesus to the point that he had a, 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 a bare back of flesh. You could see his bone. Prophecy tells us unrecognizable as a human, such was the beating that he took. And I want to remind you, Jesus knew this was going to happen. And he did it anyway. I can't think of much worse than knowing something was going to happen and it happened. I've shared this story once before. I get invited to go and sing in Nigeria about 10 years ago with a guy called Israel Houghton, who's a, quite a big Christian artist. And there was 100,000 tickets sold for this concert. And they were paying me five grand to go and sing five songs. That seemed like a really good deal to me. So I was really excited about going. And Ella was saying, Dave, 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 I don't really want you going to Nigeria. And Jelly was saying, Dave, I don't really want you going to Nigeria. And I was going, Israel Houghton, five grand, five songs, 100 grand. I mean, 100,000 people. I'm like, come on, man. This is like going to be the greatest thing of my entire life. And then I'm speaking to the guys in Nigeria. And he said this to me, don't worry, we'll sort you out security detail. Now, I don't know about you guys. When someone says the words to me, don't worry. <laughs> I kind of think to myself, why are you telling me not to worry? Because that means there's something to be worried about. So I say, hold on a wee sec, lads. Why do I need security detail? They went, oh, it's just, there's a lot of kidnappings. So I looked on the consulate, like this British consulate website, and it said that this particular area of Nigeria, I think it was Akwai Boom State, somewhere down there, there'd been so many kidnappings of white people that if you get kidnapped, you weren't going to get any consular support whatsoever, like you were on your own. They weren't going to help you. Like, that's you in trouble. And I was like, right, okay. And like, the fact that I'd be the white dude walking with security guards would make me the target. It's like, I ain't no celebrity. I ain't no rich man. But I'll look like a rich man and I'll look like a celebrity. And I thought... What would, be the, what would be the one thing worse than being kidnapped in Nigeria? And I thought, being told I was going to be kidnapped and still going, that, pro, that would take the bit, like the kidnapping would be bad enough, 
But to be told it would probably happen and to still do it, and you're sitting there freezing in some tent with a hood over your head, getting punched and kicked in that and going, Jelly told me this was going to happen. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I just not like, no. Do you know what I mean? The one thing worse than all this happening to Jesus was he knew every single bit of it was coming. But he still went through with it because it was the only way. And it didn't stop there. It said verse 27 of chapter 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered a whole battalion before him. So like loads and loads and loads of people just to make sure Jesus was thoroughly embarrassed to the absolute maximum. And it said they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. So it wasn't enough to beat him, wasn't enough to spit on him, wasn't enough to kick him and punch him and slap him, wasn't enough to falsely accuse him, wasn't enough to scourge him completely. They wanted him thoroughly humiliated and so they paraded him naked in front of a battalion of army soldiers. They put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they rammed it on his head. This isn't no rose bush, by the way. This is thorns the size of your nail. And I don't, like, anyone who's, like, in the medical profession here knows that, see, the head man, it bleeds a lot. That's what you get a nick in your head, man. The blood's pouring. I know that because I've split Max's head open twice. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean it, but I've done it. Well, actually, it was, no, it was my dad once. It was me once. It was my dad once. Mine was worse. My dad's was with a wee remote playing bowling. Wee baby Max ran by. My dad went, boof! And that was him. <laughs> right? The head bleeds like crazy, man. And here's these thorns, crown of thorns, thorns the size of your fingernail, getting rammed. The, like the, the, the blood, I mean, it must have been totally horrific, man. See, I think over the years, if I'm honest with you, we, we can like overlook some of this stuff. That's why I'm saying it. I know this can be quite hard to hear, but you know, I remember growing up in the Church of Scotland and that, you know, they kind of talk you through these things. And I remember as a kid, there must have been six or seven or something. And they got me on the stage to explain this crown of thorns. And they put, M, do you know what itchy cues are? Mind itchy, whatever happened to itchy cues, I don't know. But you know the bushes with the itchy cues and the, the like little, like bramble bushes or something. And they put one of these together and they put it on my head to like explain what the crown of thorns was. But actually, and I understand the whole concept, of, but that actually just, it just like it diminishes somewhat what the actual truth is. It wasn't a, it wasn't a rose bush thorn. This was horrific stuff getting rammed on Jesus' head. And it says they put a reed in his right hand so they're, 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 they're just taking the mick out of him and, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they spat on him again. They took the reed out of his hand, they're battering him on the head with it. They mocked him, they stripped him again, they put on his own clothes and they led him away to crucify him. And he knew it was going to happen. And he did it for you and he did it for me. Because there was no other way. It says even when he was on the cross, verse 39 says, those who passed by derided him. Wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And it said the chief priests and scribes and elders, the so-called religious people were laughing at him as well. Saying that he can't save himself. He could have saved himself. He just chose not to. Because that was the only way 
for us to be forgiven. And there's even these guys on the cross beside them. And Mark's gospel tells us that the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So the two robbers on are laughing at him as well. But here's one of the reasons you need to read four gospels and not one gospel. We find out from Luke's gospel that one of these robbers actually repented. One of these robbers, after seeing the forgiveness of Jesus, after seeing the witness of Jesus and how Jesus handled himself in that most horrific of situations, actually gave his life to him and ended up in heaven with Jesus, a robber. That's a beautiful, it's never, ever, ever too late to give your life to Jesus. The last moment of this guy's life gave his life to Jesus. It's never too late to do it. That's been, I accept, perhaps a difficult story to hear. But I've not even got to the worst thing that happened to Jesus yet. The worst thing that happened to Jesus comes a bit later. I'm in verse 45. It says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The entirety of Jesus' beating and flogging and ordeal, Jesus never uttered a word. Not one word came out of his mouth. He was silent. This is the first time he spoke. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me and this is the moment that all our sins were taken onto Jesus and we know from scripture that God can't look upon sin so he had to turn his face away and that worse than the beating and the spitting and the scourging and everything else was the fact that Jesus felt isolated and separated from God the crazy thing isn't it that the worst thing that happened to Jesus is something that so many of us live in a choice every day like we choose to be separated from God because of our lifestyles. We choose, we're just going to do our own thing. I don't need God. I don't need a relationship with God. I'm just going to do things my own way. I'm just going to keep sinning. I'm just going to do all the things I want to do. Like the, the worst thing that happened to Jesus was the taking of our sin on himself. And yet some of us choose to live that way every day. It blows my mind. And I'm actually not just talking about non-Christians, by the way. There's a lot of Christians make some really, really bad choices. And the, the, the worst thing that happened to Jesus we live is a daily choice. God can't look upon sin. See, there's consequences to sin. We're all born into sin. We all make mistakes. You don't have to teach a young person how to sin. We just get that stuff right good from the get-go. But we understand in life that there are consequences to sin. I mind one day I was driving up to Aberdeen and, and it's now an average speed camera, but at that time it was one of them ones that flashes you. And I wasn't speeding, man, I was doing 70, but I didn't see the bit where it stopped to 50, because it was like literally half a mile of road that dropped to 50 mile an hour, and I didn't see it. I didn't see it on the way there, and I never seen it on the way back. <laughs> so on a one day, I got six points in my license. It was so, cost me a few hundred quid as well. But like when you mess up, there's consequences. We know that. Them, do you ever have a punny in school? Punny, a punishment exercise. Who said that punny? 
When did punnies stop? Young folk, have you ever had a punny? You know, do you even know what a punny is? Aye. Huh. All the youth only summer said the punny. Well done, summer. That's awesome, man. <laughs> That's great. I got a lot of punnies. So you're in good company, right? I got a lot of punnies. And I actually devised, I got so many punnies. I had 10 pens sellotaped together so I could do 10 lines at once, right? And one day, my French teacher found out that I had this device at home that I did my 10, my 10 lines. So 100 lines was only 10 to me. And I was really skilled at writing with this 10, <laughs> 10 abreast uh, pen thing. So anyway, so I think somebody grasped me in. I didn't do my homework, right? And she's like, Dave, you're getting lines again. And somebody went, I miss, but he doesn't mind because he's got this thing where, do you know what I mean? And she was like, oh, okay, really? So this is what I had to write. I remember it to this day. I'm 40 years old. I was 13. I was 12 maybe even. Failure to do my homework may give the impression that I'm not as dedicated to my studies as I should be. The obvious way to correct this impression is not to let it happen again. <laughs> you can't fit that in a line. <laughs> right, so... I had to write that out a hundred times, man. hundred times. There's consequences to stuff. We know that, don't we? Any young person who's ever had a time out, Becca, you're going to come to time out season soon. Right? There's consequences to doing the wrong thing. And, I, and actually, we like consequences. If somebody was to rob your house, you want there to be consequences, do you not? That's kind of fair. If somebody was to smash into your car and drive away, you'd want there to be consequences. When people go about and break the law, we all want there to be consequences to stop them breaking the law. So actually, we're no, we've no got a problem with consequences. We just have a problem when we have to face consequences. The Bible says, because of our sin, we were separated from God. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God, that's the consequences. But God so desired to have a relationship with us that he sent his son Jesus to pay the price, one death to finish it all. One death so that nobody else had to go through that. Jesus literally gave his life in payment for my sin. So I don't need to pay any consequences. He gave his life for us. But so many of us are only willing to give up the smallest thing for him. Have you noticed that? We want to hold on to stuff. We want to hold on to stuff we know we're not meant to have. We hold on to sin. We hold on to bad attitudes. We hold on to gossip. We hold on to grudges. We hold on to unforgiveness. We hold on to things in our life that we want to have. Jesus literally gave his life up for us and we can't sometimes give up really, really simple things to honour him back. I think we need to be really, really, really careful with that. So after he said this word, after God turned his face because of our sin, because our sin was on him, after Jesus took our consequences on himself, bystanders hearing it were saying, this man's calling Elijah, and one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait and see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. 
Jesus died a brutal and horrific death so that we could be free. So why do some of us choose to live in bondage? Why do we choose to live not free? And I'm not talking to non-Christians again, I'm talking to Christians. Jesus died to free us and forgive us and yet we walk about not forgiving ourselves, And we walk about with addiction issues and with anger issues and with all sorts of stuff wrong that Jesus died to save us from. We don't need to be oppressed, church. We don't need to be downtrodden. We don't live. We shouldn't be living hopeless lives. We've got crazy hope because of what Jesus did. Crazy hope. It says, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Once and for all, the barrier between God and us was broken. So the temple had this crazy big curtain in it. And behind the curtain was a holy of holies and only one person could go there, the high priest, because he was the only guy that could go in. And it, even if he went in and he was like in an unrighteous manner, he died and get dragged out with a rope and stuff. We couldn't get anywhere near God. Before this happened, Jesus gave his life as a final sacrifice for our sin. And the curtain was torn from top to bottom. And from that day on, a personal relationship with God was available for me and for you. That's why it's called Good Friday. That's why it's the greatest day that ever happened. Yes, Jesus died the most terrific death that could ever be imagined, but that day our freedom was bought. That day we found hope where there was none. That way we found an opportunity to have a relationship with God when that opportunity was not available to us ever before. I just want to encourage you, if you've no entered into that relationship with God, if you've not asked him, if you've not accepted his forgiveness of your sins I just want to encourage you to do that tonight tonight you can make a decision to live for Jesus tonight you can find hope where you've been hopeless you can find peace where there's been restlessness and you can find forgiveness where there's no been forgiveness where there's been shame why do so many of us even Christians man we live our lives in shame about silly things that we've done in that there's no need to do it Jesus paid everything. Jesus finished everything. So I just want to take some time tonight, really, just to allow Jesus to restore the joy of our salvation to us. I'm so crazy thankful for what Jesus did. And fortunately, we know, by the way, in case this is the first time you've ever heard this, Jesus rode for the dead, for the dead three days later. We'll go talk about that on Sunday. But it was his death that paid the penalty for our sins. And so we're going to take communion together and uh, reflect on that a little bit more. I'll talk to you about that just before we do it. But again, if you're, there's just so much we can take from this story. If you've never given your life to Jesus, why don't you do it tonight? And if you gave your life to him a long time ago, but you've been carrying stuff you're not supposed to be carrying, can we just give it up tonight? Just give it to Jesus. I'm going to ask Becca to come and sing for us. You can follow the words if you want. And uh, after this, we'll, uh, we'll pray. We'll take communion together, but we'll talk us through that in a wee, in a wee moment. Um, so maybe we can get the communion ready as well. As Becca's going to sing this song. You're welcome to join in if you know it, but you're welcome just to sit and reflect. And just let, just, just, I just really want us all to reflect on this and 
just in your hearts give Jesus a thanks and praise that he deserves because it's incredible what was done for us that day absolutely incredible we don't deserve to be able to live a life with a holy God but we get to live one because of what Jesus did on the cross that day so let's just reflect on that as the as Becca uh, sings us a song Thanks for listening to the Home Church Scotland podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, feel free to get in touch with me. My email is dave at homechurch.scot.